1: All right, thanks Coop. I am Chris Cuomo and welcome to Prime Time. The White House cluster keeps claiming victims as more key members of our government go down and Trump insists COVID, no big deal. No big deal that now all but one member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff are quarantining after exposure. That Stephen Miller now tested positive, mastermind of many of Trump's divisive policies. Also a fourth press aide has just tested positive, Over two dozen have fallen to COVID so far and gotten sick, and more are likely given the continued unmasked madness in that place. The cases there are coming faster than anything we've seen befall this White House, other than maybe indictments and disgraceful exits. The problem is Trump's recklessness has him losing key players just as the country needs him and his team most. Instead of making it better for people, he seems intent on making it worse, ripping off his mask and letting his COVID breath rip-roar around the White House. Does it make him look like a patriot in chief to ignore the only thing we have, keeping us safe from a pandemic? He said he wanted to get back to work, so he gets out of the hospital, but then he abandons negotiations on economic relief for millions until after the election. People are living week to week millions are struggling to get by during a pandemic and he's still choosing to just to risk it all so why would he think a dangerous stunt like ripping off his masking you know doing this would be the right message shameful but true ripping that mask off was less dramatic than how he's ripping the scab off so many families economic wounds The economy is tanking. They need relief. Shame on the Republicans, shame on the Democrats, and shame on this president. Most of those working are gonna pay more in taxes to the federal government than our self-proclaimed billionaire POTUS, saving all that money, only paying $750 a year in taxes. When he was asked about it in the debate, I pay millions. Yeah, what about those two years? I paid millions. No, he didn't. He lets others continue to struggle and then tells you he's the best deal maker we've ever had. So where's the deal? And despite being fresh from the hospital, still being treated, Trump is once again saying COVID is no worse than the flu. That is wrong. In eight months, COVID has killed more people than the flu did in the last five flu seasons combined. There is now a warning on Twitter about Trump's disinformation again today. Our president is lying to you about a pandemic. Don't let it dominate. Tell that to the people hooked up to ventilators right now, fighting for their lives. The widow of a 41-year-old Broadway star killed by COVID is a lot to tell the president and you tonight. Nick Cordero's wife will be here exclusively in a moment. She wants to speak for all those victims and afflicted families who heard the president dismiss their pain. And then we have another round of Thunderdome tomorrow. Another debate after that last debacle. It was literally and figuratively sickening. The place where they're holding it, Utah, 716 cases reported today. It's on the rise. That's where the VP debate's gonna be. Mike Pence, the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force has insisted on making it less safe by saying no plexiglass barrier between him and Kamala Harris. Why? Was this a cage match? The Debate Commission says it's not going to allow that. I mean, at what point do they stop taking unnecessary risks? Hey, is Pence going to take the test or is it going to happen like it did with Trump? Showed up too late. Where are those negative test results from Trump for last week? How hard are they to come up with? You think they'll just tell you the truth? Did they test or not? Where's the answer? All right. Let's talk about the state of play. Let's bring in Dr. Ashish Jha and Van Jones. Thank you both for joining us tonight. I'll take silence as acceptance. Uh, Dr. Jha, uh, the idea of saying, hey, listen, I beat it, you can beat it. It doesn't affect anybody, really. It's just like the flu. You know, you can be just like me. Don't let it dominate you. A public policy impact.
2: Yeah. um, Where to begin, Chris? Uh, Look, this is not the flu. It's not the flu. We've known that since really since March. Uh, It's killed 210,000 fellow Americans. And to keep iterating that is so deeply disappointing. I I don't know why. I really had hoped that somehow the president going through this uh, would be an awakening. He would realize how serious this is and he would come back from it, uh, warning the American people to be more careful. And instead, he's telling people to ignore it and to act like this, it isn't there. And uh, of course, that's only gonna lead to more suffering and more death if people listen to it. And
1: the debate, is there a chance, Doc, that this could be another bad situation where you know we saw from the last debate, people got sick. We saw the president's family refusing masks. Uh, how big is the risk here or can it be managed?
2: Yeah, so look, what we know now is that the president was probably infectious uh, during that debate. And it is unacceptable that people show up to these things and don't follow the rules. There's a reason we have a set of rules. There's a reason the Cleveland Clinic has set up the rules that they have. It's how we protect everybody. And you don't just get to flout it because you're the president or the first family. I don't think that, that they have any credibility for setting rules. They have been a public health disaster. And I think we should let Cleveland Clinic set the rules for what is safe. And then everybody has to follow it. Or I think the Biden campaign should not show up if they're not going to have a safe debating environment. So one of the big points of the pandemic is so many families are
1: struggling because they can't work. And now you've got compromise based on schooling. So many have to stay home with their kids because we can't test and trace right in schools. So, Van, the president said, hey, you don't have to tell me. I wanted to make a deal. It's Pelosi. It's Pelosi. I mean, she's crazy. She just wanted to help all the big cities, but not the workers. I guess that means nobody works in big cities. Um, But do you think you get the stink for no deal?
3: Well, first of all, I mean, the idea that he would, the president of the United States in the middle of this uh, pandemic, where you have people who are literally in lines for food, food lines, people in cars for two, three hours, just trying to get a little small box of food to take to their children. That he would just tweet out that I'm just not going to talk to anybody about this until after you elect me. That is literally insane. It's politically insane because you got people who you know are were hoping that something would get done. He's now owning the failure. He's saying like, I am going to cause a thing to fail. Um, but it's also incredibly cruel because apparently what he's saying is if you don't if you don't reelect me, I'm not going to do anything in October, November, December or January till somebody else is in here. So you're imposing four years of pain on the people. It's, it's literally insane. And people are, are starting, I, I, there's no rational explanation what you're seeing out of this White House at this point. None at all.
1: Well, what about the Democrats will make
3: a deal? Well, the Democrats have, have, have been moving forward. Mnuchin and Pelosi were getting closer to a deal. Now, uh, if, the idea is if Pelosi doesn't do what you say, you're gonna punish the country for four months that's insane uh the the two sides have been uh, far apart but they were moving closer together there's at least a spirit you get something done mnuchin i think was caught as off guard as everybody else the other thing is you know to pull the rug out from under all the republicans including mnuchin himself is just literally insane something is desperately wrong in that white house right now
1: Ashish, what do you think of the idea of the president going back to rallies and, you know, open events, which is almost undoubtedly how he got sick in the first place?
2: Yeah, so hard to know where he got infected. But look, the CDC guidelines on this is really clear, Chris. Uh, Ten days after onset of symptoms, up to the first 10 days, he is contagious. He should be going nowhere. He should be uh, he should not be taking joy rides. He should not be doing the kinds of things he's been doing. Uh, that 10 days puts him at the end of this weekend. After that, I think he can get out. But, you know, he has not been careful and he has not followed guidelines. Uh, And he's got to start doing that uh, to protect people around him and to protect himself. People can get reinfected. Uh, We're going to hope that that doesn't happen. Uh, And obviously, there are plenty of people around him who have not yet been infected. Fewer and fewer people around him not infected. But uh, there are still people out there around him who are not infected. Two more quick things.
1: Ashish, do you think the messaging war is over, that that's it, too many people have heard from him saying masks don't matter, they become a political statement, and that's it, that we're going to have a hard time getting under 40,000 cases until this virus uh, just, you know, just goes through enough bodies?
2: No. So, look, 800 Americans are dying every day. We can't give up on this messaging war. We have three or four tools, uh, testing, isolation, uh, distancing, uh, mask wearing. I'm going to keep saying it till I'm blue in the face every single day. We got to keep saying it because it's going to save lives.
1: All right. And Van, uh, let me ask you this. So the word out of the campaign is no, we need this debate. Uh, Pence is going to show things about Kamala Harris that will really uh, expose her as a weakness for Biden. uh, And she is a literally heartbeat away if they get in. uh, And it has to happen. We, they need it in the campaign. And Pence uh, is a radio host, former guy, great debater, and he will show that team at its best.
3: Uh, bring your popcorn. Kamala Harris is no joke. I don't know who they're talking about. I don't know who, the, who they think are going to be able to run over, or roll over. You're going to be dealing with a seasoned prosecutor. You're going to be dealing with one of the toughest people in American politics. She is no joke. Bring your popcorn. Bring your soda pop and watch Mike Pence get taken to the woodshed tomorrow night.
1: I have sat next to you for at least two debates where you have spit either chicken or pizza at me after Kamala Harris said things in debates that caught you off guard. Uh, we will be watching, but I gotta tell you, I wish it weren't happening, to be honest. Dr. Ja Van Jones, thank you both. Be healthy, be well, and thank you. Thank All you. right, look, you wanna beat COVID, you gotta be strong like Trump and everything's gonna be okay, right? Wrong. You can be really strong you can be strong as i am you can be twice as strong and you still die Two hundred and ten thousand people can't speak for themselves anymore but they weren't weak yeah a lot of them were old but not all of them and you know what just because you're old doesn't mean you have to die but their loved ones like the widow of broadway star nick cordero she can speak
4: it dominated his life it dominated my life it dominated our family's lives have some Empathy. Why are you bragging? Have empathy to the Americans that you are our leader. Have some empathy to the people who are suffering and grieving. We've
1: got to forget about the politics and remember that this is about people. That's what the pandemic is affecting. It's not about left and right. It's about everybody else. Amanda Klutz is with us. She lost her husband who was such a rising star, strong and brave. And she has a message for families like hers and she wants you to hear it next. More than 210,000 families in America are heartbroken because a loved one died of COVID-19. Every day, that number ticks higher, as do the millions of sick and struggling. But still, the president says, don't let it dominate you, don't be afraid. As if it is something sick people can control, as if we all get 24-hour care in a hospital and experimental treatments that we can all but waste out of our own convenience. It's just the flu, no big deal. Those words hurt, they're not just wrong, they're raw. So many who are sick and struggling and scared and coping with life-changing loss. Amanda Klutz has joined this new family that no one wants to be a member of changed by COVID. You know her, you know her late husband, Broadway actor, Nick Cordero. They got a little boy with one of the best names ever, Elvis. 95 days, she watched as her husband fought like almost no other. He was somebody to her, his kid, his family, his fans. 41, prime of life, strong, talented, sweet, He fought, he didn't let COVID dominate. He had no choice. Amanda Klutz joins me now. Thank you very much for taking the opportunity, especially at this time. Uh, First things first to the legacy, how's Elvis?
4: He's uh, a perfectly happy, healthy little boy. I thank God for him every day.
1: Man, and you should, and you know what? There will be a legacy for him to attach and understand about his father. And I'm happy for this to be part of it. Um, You're home, you're dealing with enough and you hear the president's nonchalance, takes the mask off, no big deal. You know, I don't know what to be, it's just like the flu. Don't let it dominate you, don't be afraid. You can get through just like I did. How did those words hit you?
4: Chris, honestly, it stopped me in my tracks. I was sitting here finishing dinner and um, I saw the tweet first, and then I turned on the news and saw him speak live, and it broke my heart. It, it, it was like a gut punch, bringing back all of the, the, the... Everything we went through.
1: What do you think he doesn't understand?
4: Um... Sorry, you know, the flippant comments. Don't be afraid. You know, we were afraid every single day. We were afraid for our lives. We were afraid for Nick's life. Um, And then, you know, you're afraid for the world. Um, To tell somebody to not be afraid of this disease that took a life that took over 200,000 lives. It took over a million lives. Gosh, it just, you know, it's uh, like a dagger in the heart.
1: You know, we were talking a little bit about your husband and his struggle, and you said, you know, Nick had great care. You know, this this isn't about him uh, going without. He had everything he could, but that's the point. Is doesn't yeah. matter that you're a big, beautiful Broadway star with, you know, lungs the size of barrels uh, and flexibility and strength for days. And you're only 41. It can be anybody, anywhere. And then the whole family is affected. And to this president, it's something that he doesn't even really want to have measured. He doesn't even want us to know the numbers, what have you learned about how big the community is that you've become a part of through this misfortune?
4: Oh, it's incredible. I mean, you know, that the amount of help and love and kindness um, and support that my family received, that Nick's family received from our community here in California to all of the people that have been following the story. It, it's just been incredible. Um, and I truly couldn't have, Got through it without it, for sure.
1: So now, here's the problem. We're still in it. Yeah. You know, Nick was a cautionary tale for people. I remember rocked people. Ryan, not just because of his stardom, because he's a somebody, but because of what he was. I mean, 41, a big, gorgeous, strong, healthy person. You're not supposed to struggle. You know, 95 mm-hmm. days, an epic fight. But... It shook people and made them realize how random this thing um, can be. And I hear from people like you all the time that the fact that this isn't at the top of the agenda of doing everything that can be done to to get people in masks and socially distance and test, the fact that everything's not being thrown at it is an insult. Do you feel that?
4: Absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, what he wrote in that tweet was was such an insult, um, especially his words about, you know, don't let it dominate you. Um, you know, it, it, it not only has dominated the lives of the people we've lost, it's dominated the families of those people. It dominated and it still does, the hospital, the health heroes that were working every day to save my husband, the doctors, the nurses. Um, It dominated people who have lost their jobs and small businesses that have been closed and will not reopen. Um, People don't have incomes, they don't have anything right now. And it's dominated everything. So his comments that he wrote not only are so insulting to everyone who lost a loved one and is in the grieving position that I'm in at the moment, but it is even larger than that. It's insulting, he owes the world, he owes America an apology for what he said. That's how insulting it was.
1: You're not gonna get one. The question is, why? Do you think it's that he doesn't agree? Or do you think it's that his calculation is, this pandemic is bad for him? and he needs to put the message out that it's not a big deal and it doesn't really affect anybody and we're testing more than anywhere. And look, he's fine, it's gonna go away.
4: I think he had a chance um, yesterday to come out and be a true leader and a chance to show empathy to his country, to the people that have suffered and, you know, he had a chance since having COVID to even try, you know, to, to use the, the two days that he suffered in the hospital um, to, to relate to us, to relate to the world, to relate to the United States of America. And he didn't. And instead, instead of showing empathy and heart, he showed his bragging nature and how well he's doing and how great he's feeling after 20 years um he's never felt better Uh, i you know i wish i could say that to my husband you know even if nick would have survived the complications that covid had on his body he would have dealt with for the rest of his life we would have dealt with for the rest of his life um and you know it's just sad to me that he had a chance yesterday to really, um, after, you know, being diagnosed with COVID and, and being in the hospital, he had a chance to be a human um, and, and not political, not Republican, Democrat, a human, a human being that has been a part of this pandemic. And he chose to go the other way. And it's, it was very upsetting and really horrible um, and sad.
1: you got a lot on your plate. You are not a politician. Uh, no. This is not an agenda dra- agenda driver for you, uh, and no. I really appreciate you just coming out to speak to the pain because you know a lot of people share your pain, and you want to speak for them and let this president know and the others in leadership, people are hurting and they need help. Uh, and what is said matters, not as much as what's done, but it matters. So I thank you for... Putting a fresh cut in your own wound so that other people can understand what's happening, and I'm very sorry to meet you under these conditions. But you know what? You're putting some purpose to your pain, and there is a there is a blessing in that. So thank you. Uh,
4: thank you, Chris,
1: for giving me and the audience a chance to understand what is real. Forget about left and right. Just real. Amanda Klutz, the best to you, and Elvis. We're a call away. Thank you. Okay.
4: Thank you. Thank you. All
1: right. God bless. Good night. We'll be right back. Something really important about the vaccine. Uh, You may remember last night there was a headline that the FDA is being told, hey, don't put in any more barriers to the vaccine coming out because the FDA had suggested, hey, we may not be ready uh, by the election. We have to make sure this is safe first. Remember, the White House said there'll be no politics. New FDA rules make it more difficult for them to speed up vaccines for approval before Election Day. Just another political hit job. I thought, Mr. President, you said there'd be no politics played with the FDA. I thought you had all your people say, no, no, no. This is about the science. This is about the medicine. This is about the experts. How can it be a political hit job from your own guy? The guy at the head of the FDA you just put in there months ago. This is on you. And it is about the truth. And it is about safety. That's what should dominate you. Truth. And here is another dose of medicinal truth. You said kids had to go back to school. You said it was a must. I and so many others kept saying to you, yes, you're right, tell us how, help. You did nothing. Schools are not open in enough places. The hybrid, the at home, it's a mess. Ask any parents. The teachers are doing their damnedest. A lot of the schools are too. It's broken. The president has been pressed here and elsewhere to do something about it. And after many months of saying kids had to get back, but doing nothing, now he says he has the answer. Listen. We're announcing our plan to distribute 150 million Abbott rapid point of care tests. Now he's reading that because he doesn't know what he's talking about, but it sounded good. Even Dr. Fauci last night had to couch that number. The ultimate goal be 150 million purchase. And I think there'll be more after that. I'm going to be pushing for more. He's pushing for more. Here's the problem. Two problems. One, we haven't gotten any. They have been making this promise for months. And then you have the math of it. 150 million tests. Holy cow. Do the math. There are more than 50 million kids in public schools alone. I know Catholic, Christian schools, private schools struggling as well. I know, we'll get to that. But the issues aren't the same. Uh, The issues are the same, but the resources aren't, okay? So let's stick with the bulk of kids in public school just for a second. If you are testing those kids every other day, and you could argue that you should be doing it daily, you get 150 million tests, won't last a week. And that's before we look at the private schools and the parochial schools. You got 6 million kids there as well. That's real, gotta deal with it. You also have the teachers, 3 million in the public schools, the faculty, the staff. They and their families count too, right? They haven't been part of the discussion. Why? So Dr. Fauci pushing for more. That's good. But again, the basic problem is, what are you pushing for more? We haven't gotten any yet. It was back in March that Trump made a big show about the kinds of rapid tests we would have. He didn't do a damn thing about it until last month when they announced these 150 million tests. Any day, any day, any day. The first batch, six and a half million, were supposed to go out last week. Can't find any proof of them in schools. So you know what happens now, blame shift, where are they? Those sucky governors, got one in my family. They need to figure out how to distribute them and to what schools, so I guess it's on them. It's only six and a half million. And now here's the big problem that nobody's telling you. Testing alone, that just counts cases. doesn't stop cases, right? They're not going to keep kids safe all by themselves. Here's the example of the truth of this proposition. The White House. For months, they told you they didn't need to spread out or wear masks because... Why won't you wear a mask? Is it sort of a personal political statement? Is it because the president would be disappointed in you if you don't wear a mask?
4: It's a personal decision. I'm tested regularly.
1: (laughs) How did that age? It's not a personal decision. Your personal decision ends when it starts to affect my person. This White House bet their lives on rapid testing as a panacea and that masks were weakness. They weren't even using the tests correctly. We were told the White House was testing everyone who got near the president and the president. Where are his negative tests from last week before Thursday? Silence. But look at this. Even worse. The FDA's emergency authorization for the tests, called Abbott ID now, says it was designed to be used within the first seven days of symptoms. What does that mean? It's not Built to test people who feel fine, known as asymptomatic. When you're asymptomatic, those tests miss as many as one in three cases. Asymptomatic misses one in three cases. Now the White House cluster's down make a little bit more sense. The ones we're talking about for the schools are also made by Abbott. Different model called the Binax now, but is it a different quality? Once again, according to the FDA, they are also only authorized for use after you show symptoms. So this is your big answer? Not enough tests that don't catch enough cases? Look, off-label usage isn't necessarily a bad thing. We certainly need to be thinking outside the box. We got no tools in the box as it is. Rapid tests are a critical piece for schools and it should have been done months ago. But you're still going to need masks and social distancing. In other words, this doesn't fix the hybrid model mess. And it's going to take a hell of a lot more than 150 million. Those are the facts. We have to do better. We'll be right back. All but one member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff are now self-quarantining. Puts the Pentagon on some uncertain footing as the Senate and the White House are also in uncertain territory. Let's talk risk assessment with President Trump's former National Security Advisor, John Bolton, author of The Room Where It Happened. Ambassador, thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you. What's your level of concern about the diminished White House, as you have now about a dozen plus uh, being affected by activities there? What does that do to the functioning day to day?
5: Well, I think as the number of people and the level of the people are affected, uh, uh, even with advanced telecommunications, it makes a big difference uh, uh, in the West Wing when when that many people are are knocked out and. Uh, I have to say, it looks like it's only going to continue to get worse. So th- there should have been uh, a much higher level of seriousness about this from the get go. And uh, unfortunately, they're now going to pay the consequences. And so are the rest of us. And the president
1: being hospitalized, coming back out, his team members going down. Uh, is this just about day to day efficiency? We see that uh, a deal for uh, the families out there seems to be gone in Congress. The president has abandoned that negotiation. But what about? keeping us safe? National security issues.
5: Well, I think the president has mishandled the coronavirus pandemic from the get-go, going back to January, if not before. And I think now, obviously, we're caught uh, literally one month from the election, uh, and that's the only thing on the president's mind. So uh, I, I do think we are more vulnerable now to uh, interference from our adversaries abroad than I would have expected. I would have thought they would be more cautious uh, even in an election period. But this disarray in the White House, I, I've, I've never seen anything like it. I don't think there's a parallel historically, even going back to the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, and as I say, I think the, the, uh, the, the odds are it's only going to get worse. The White House is actually a case cluster.
1: I don't know how you could get a a more negative metaphor for your effectiveness in dealing with it. Now we hear that a bunch of the Joint Chiefs are quarantining because of exposure, but isn't our military apparatus, especially at the top levels, just a huge network of personnel? I mean, does it matter that they're in quarantine? It's suboptimal, obviously, but does that make us unsafe?
5: No, I don't think so. Remember, th- these are people who are are trained and planned to make their decisions literally under enemy fire, uh, which which could include uh, biological weapons. So uh, it's inconvenient, but but I think the most important thing about. The Joint Chiefs putting themselves in quarantine because they had come into contact with somebody who tested positive was how seriously they are taking it. This is the responsible way to act. And if the White House had, uh, had done this, and, and we know from any number of reports for months and months uh, it was considered bad form to wear a mask. Uh, but if, if the White House had taken it as seriously as the Pentagon is now, I, I don't think we'd be in this disarray.
1: I mean, it still is. Right, Ambassador? I mean, he just ripped off his mask in defiance and is once again saying uh, something that is just demonstrably false, that COVID's no worse than the flu. Um, here's what I don't understand, and I'd love your take on. It. If an outside force exposed our vice president and president and other key players to a virus, we would be at the brink of war. Yet here, it is the president's own recklessness that achieved the same thing. How do you make sense of that?
5: Well, there, there is no way to make sense of it uh, other than it's the, the uh, president's obsession with his own image and, and what he wants to project and this feeling that if he acts the way he wants the world to be, the world will be that way. It's a, it's a form of of uh, mind control is the only way i can put it unfortunately the coronavirus didn't get the memo and the president's recklessness and there's uh, example after example of it including that joyride out at uh, walter reed over the weekend uh... now is putting a lot of his staffers at risk but more importantly it sends a signal to people all over the country that somehow this is not serious and uh... you know it contradicts what trump himself has said He, he he can't keep on a straight line here. And I think the pressure of being four weeks away from the election uh, is, is now showing very clearly. At some point, if we don't get the pandemic under
1: control, if there isn't a more aggressive move by the federal government on testing, at what point does it become a threat to national security that we are just being too vulnerable for too long?
5: Well, I I think we've been vulnerable for too long already. I think if we had acted early and and, uh, dispositively, this would look a lot different than it does now. I personally think the real answer here is the vaccine. And I do think in that sense, the federal government has tried to move quickly Mm -hmm. and safely at the same time. I think when we get the vaccine, uh, uh, this changes very, very dramatically. The White House itself, the experience there shows testing is not enough they they were testing all the time it didn't maybe. stop the virus
1: maybe they were testing you know we keep asking well, for the president's negative test results from last work right. last week no word of where they are It'd be pretty easy to produce if they had them ambassador john bolton thank you very much uh for the reality of what keeps us safe and what doesn't author of the room where it happened all right we'll be right back So what about Joe Biden? Fair question. Look, can't ignore the president pushing us deeper into a pandemic as he walks infected through a White House case cluster. But Biden is making a pandemic push of his own and it is worth your getting a sense of the very different message he is putting out from Captain Contagious-in-Chief.
0: Joe Biden near the site of one of the Civil War's bloodiest battles, pressing his case for unity for today's divided nation. We must seek not to have our fists clenched, but our arms open.
1: We have to seek not to tear each other apart, but seek to come together.
0: Biden traveling to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, invoking the words of President Abraham Lincoln.
1: Today, once again. We are a house divided, but that, my friends, can no longer be.
0: The former vice president with a push for bipartisanship and overcoming racial divisions and issuing a call to action.
1: We must vote. We will vote.
0: No matter how many
1: obstacles are thrown in our way, because once America votes... America will be heard.
0: With the coronavirus crisis still raging across the country, Biden saying leaders should follow the science.
1: Wearing a mask is not a political statement. It's a scientific recommendation. We can't undo what has been done. We can't go back. but We can do so much better.
0: Biden's trip took him to the critical battleground state of Pennsylvania, while President Trump is sidelined from the campaign trail with coronavirus. With just four weeks until Election Day, a new CNN poll shows Biden with his widest lead yet over the president nationwide, the Democratic nominee ahead of Trump with likely voters by 16 points. Biden's advantage fueled by support from older voters, a group Trump won by seven points in 2016, but now backing Biden by 21 points. And the former vice president seeing an even bigger advantage among women, with two-thirds of female voters favoring Biden over Trump. Today, one of the Democratic Party's most revered women taking aim at the current president.
6: They're stoking fears about Black and brown Americans, lying about how minorities will destroy the suburbs. So what the president is doing is once again patently false. It's morally wrong. And yes, it is racist. In a 24 minute
0: video, Michelle Obama making her closing argument for the election with her own
6: pitch for unity. Let's be very real. America is divided right now. And a lot of people are being sold lies from those who want to get rich or stay in power or sometimes both. And as I've said before, We must all empathize with those who might not look like us or vote like us.
0: The former first lady urging undecided voters to
6: vote their conscience. We can no longer pretend that we don't know exactly who and what this president stands for. Search your hearts and your conscience and then vote for Joe Biden like your lives depend on it.
0: Joe Biden didn't mention President Trump by name once in that speech in Gettysburg, but shortly after he was quick to criticize the president for canceling those stimulus negotiations. Biden argued the president turned his back on the very Americans who need that relief. Biden adding worse yet, he never even really tried to get a deal for these Americans, Chris.
1: Arlette signs, thank you very much. All right, let's bring in two great minds in the state of play four weeks out from the election. The Wizard of Odds, ODDS, Harry Enton, and Philip Bump, national correspondent for The Washington Post. Come on the show more, I'll give you a nickname too. All right, let's look at the numbers here. Four weeks to Election Day, 57% of likely voters Biden, 41% Trump. Um, now, let's look at this numerically, and then we'll look at it analytically. Harry, the numbers, you point to two key demographic groups that show a shift in this race from 2016. Lay it out.
7: Yeah, it's two simple groups, right? It's voters 65 and older, and it's uh, women, white women. And if you look at those groups, Trump won both of those groups back in 2016 in the final polls. And right now, what do we see? We see that, in fact, among women overall... Biden has this huge advantage and among white women specifically what you see is that Joe Biden last time around Donald Trump won that group now you see Joe Biden up with that group by 12 points in the average polls and senior citizens Trump won it last time and now Biden is ahead with that group so two massive shifts
1: All right so those are the numbers now Philip you take it on because you know people look at the numbers and be like I've heard this before Clinton was up like 14 or something at about this time you know why is this any different your answer
8: So my answer is twofold. The first is that if this actually holds, if this poll result holds, other polls match it, this thing's a blowout. I mean, so, so it's worth taking things with a grain of salt. The main response is in 2016, yes, Hillary Clinton won the national popular vote, lost in swing states, but her lead went up and down and up and down over the course of the entire year. Biden's has been rock steady. And not only has this been rock steady, for example, I will say there's been no point in the last 150 days of the campaign where Biden and Trump were tied, whereas in each of the five previous elections, there were points in the last 150 days where they were tied. And Biden has never been his low point in the 538 polling average has never been less than five points above Donald Trump's high point. The two are simply distant. They're spaced apart. And that's the sort of thing you want to see if you're Joe Biden's camp, because it means people are locked in to where they're planning on voting.
1: Now, in the last race, Harry, we did see uh, the now president moving in these last four weeks. He started to make a move. What was that about then? And could that happen now?
7: No, I don't think it could. I mean, sure, it could happen now, right? I don't want to dismiss things. But there were a lot more undecided voters. There were a lot more third party voters at that particular point than going on right now. So Trump doesn't just need to win the undecided because Joe Biden's at or above 50 percent, as our poll indicates. He has to take voters away from Joe Biden in order to do so. Very different than four years ago. Last thing I'll note is Biden has been winning not just the last 150 days. He has been leading the last three years. He's just had a continuous lead that's very much unlike what we saw in 2016.
1: All right, Philip, you take an interesting look at this demographic. Other than uh, pissing off older people by constantly painting Joe's age as a function uh, of him being like one step from the grave and the other one on a banana peel, uh, the president constantly through his campaign, radical left, uh, Biden's gonna be co-opted, horrible things, culture war, everything's gonna go the wrong way. Why would 65 and older be
8: resonating with Biden better than Trump? It's a great question. And honestly, I'm not sure we really know the answer to that. I will say though, that one of the things, one of the features we've seen is something that Harry just got to. Both sides are really, really locked in that there aren't a lot of swing voters moving back and forth. It'll be fascinating to figure out how big that swing group population is. But the the key demo that I really like to look at here is is the voters who dislike both candidates, speaking to that point, Voters who dislike both candidates in 2016 went for Trump by 17 points. Now, consistently, they're backing Biden by 20 plus points, which shows Trump is also not getting the benefit of the doubt from people the way he did four years ago, and that's definitely hurting him. Well, he is the president,
1: you know, so he has a record attached to him, even though he seems to be making it more Biden's fault than his own. I don't know how well that works. Um, Harry, looking at the electoral map, even if this number stinks, and it's really a tight race overall. You say the electoral map uh, still tells a story that is good for Biden at this point.
7: Yeah, I mean look Joe Biden is ahead in more than enough states to get 270 electoral votes. And you know you point out the polls were wrong last time around but even if Trump outperforms the polls as he much as he did in 2016, given the polls right now, Joe Biden would still be well over 270 electoral votes. So even if the polls are off, Biden is still very much clearly ahead
1: i don't trust it bump it just doesn't feel like that in the country uh, again every time the president goes out he packs the house even though he's making people sick uh the flags are all over the place again the intensity online
8: i don't know what am i missing well you, president trump has done a very good job of building this sense that he has this energetic basis behind him i mean how many times have we heard him talk about voters over the course of the year it's a totally meaningless statistic but it's something he talks about all the time the real test is if you look at what we're starting to see, people lining up for early voting, they're lining up in big right. cities, that so people are eager to go out and vote. That's the sort of thing that we'll watch over time. And so far, it seems to be indicating this is going to be a big turnout election, and it may actually reinforce some of the poll numbers we've been seeing.
1: Got to watch. You don't have to be a pro to know that the last few weeks will matter the most, and we'll be watching. Harry Ant and Philip Bump, great to see you both looking well. God bless. So all for us, best part of the night. CNN tonight with the man D. Lemon right now.
9: You know what's uh, different? There are a couple things that are different. That people aren't Do taking tell. into account. Um, Joe Biden is not Hillary Clinton. Um, people, you know, this is this isn't me. I'm not saying that I don't like Hillary Clinton, but people, she did not have uh, high favorability ratings. Joe Biden's favorability ratings are higher, as you uh, so rightly pointed out. Now, now this this president is not just aspirational; he has a record, right, that he's run on, and that he and. and most of the time continues to run into the ground. Um, and I think that you, people talk about the silent majority, you said you, know, you don't see the lawn signs or whatever. I think that people feel that they don't have to put up lawn signs and do all those things because the lawn sign is Trump out every day giving misinformation. And when someone, after someone annoys you for a while, you know, you have your detractors, Chris, many of them on, on state television like I do. What's the best way to, to to handle it, you just ignore it. Naked choke? No,
1: just, no, just ignore it. Punch them. the
9: sternum? That people, when you ignore people, that is the worst thing that you can do to anyone. So I think that people are sick of, uh, quite frankly, sick of us talking about Trump every single night, leading mm. with him, uh, you know, it's a bulk of our show. People are tired of it and they're tired of his antics. And I think there's a silent majority who are just gonna say, you know what, I'm done. And they're not yelling and screaming. They're not ripping their masks off. They're not yelling at people to wear masks. It's quite frankly, most of them aren't the young people who are out there on the streets, although they're upset and they will have some influence in this election. These are the steady voters, as I say, the church hat ladies who are going to vote. And they are quite frankly tired of it because they think about their kids being
1: bullied and they don't like bullies. Well, I don't know about the church hat part, but we know that white women have been moving more towards Biden. We know that people who don't like either candidate are breaking more towards Biden, certainly to your point, than they did with Clinton. I don't see people's read on the moment the same way as you do because we're in so much crisis that I think that kind of uh, overwhelms the Trumpiness of it, and they just need to know because this guy's at the head. Uh, But I understand what you're saying. I think the silent majority has turned into the concern of whether or not the majority gets silenced yeah. through all these suppression all efforts with suppression, the
9: ballots. you got that right um, listen and I'm not saying I'm not saying Joe Biden's going to win or Donald Trump's going to win. I when I before people get it misconstrued everyone says Donald Don Limon says Donald Trump is going to lose. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this isn't 2016 and people love to view this election this time through the through a 2016 lens. It's not that. Mm. This is 2020. Things are a lot different. We're in the middle of a pandemic. People have lost a lot of loved ones. The president is quite frankly great at stagecraft, but is he great at policy? Is he great at carrying, um, doing the, the business of the American people? Carrying out an agenda? That's what people are going to decide on. They're not going to decide on, you know, whether it's, you know, this is 2016 and blah 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 and whatever October surprise, whatever's going to happen for the election. I think most people's minds are made up at this moment. It's baked in the cake. Maybe I May be good
1: out. at stagecraft, but he's yeah. going to have to work on his witchcraft because he's got people <laughs> dropping all over the place <laughs> around him witchcraft. in that White House. The White House is a cluster. Yeah. And I agree more with you. Than the best way, you make a really strong point about how when somebody doesn't like something, sometimes they're just quiet to it. Yeah. And I would argue that that is the second best way to handle it. First yeah. way, Poxal, 123. <laughs> Good night. You are right about
9: a cluster. It's a cluster in uh, many
1: different ways. <laughs> All right, I was going <laughs> to say. A of keep ways. us
9: hired, son. I got school to pay. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you soon. I love you, D Lemon. Thank you. I appreciate it. You more, my brother. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.